everyone. Junior church, four years old through fourth grade, you are dismissed to walk up front for junior church there. So this year, our theme is what? Foundation. Okay, we are looking on how we can have an unwavering faith, and our theme verses are 1 Peter 2, verses 4 through 8. And it says, you, um, you are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. And what's more, you are his holy priest. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. As the scriptures say, I am placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem chosen for great honor, and anyone who trusts in Him will never be disgraced. Yes, you who trust Him recognize the honor God has given Him, but for those who reject Him, kind of similar to what Austin was saying, those who go through the door, who is this cornerstone, will never feel disgraced. But those who reject Him don't go through that door. He is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they do not obey God's Word, and they meet the fate that was planned for them. Because we want to make sure our faith is fully on Christ, that we are building only on Christ, we've been going through the Gospels this year to pick through the various verses, events, and truths that will help us grow more and more to be more and more like Jesus. And that brings us to Christmas. We can't skip it just because two months ago we had Christmas, and, and I really wanted to get a tree out and get up the decorations, and some of you are like, that'd be awesome, and others of you are like, no. Okay? I just saw a few people going, boo. Okay? They don't want those decorations. But we cannot skip over this section just because two months ago we celebrated Christmas. And so we're going to look at the calling to Christmas, and, and it'll be a little bit different. I'm not going to wear a Santa hat, and we're not going to have the trees, but it is a very vital part of the foundational story of Jesus coming into humanity. So every parent has stories to tell, good stories as well as bad stories. You can hear stories from drug and alcohol dependency, teen pregnancy, to call from the local police departments. Uh, the runaway that hasn't called home in five years. It is tough being a parent, regardless of how old the child is. Parenting, whether you're natural parents, adoptive parents, caregivers, or guardians, it is hard work when things go fairly normal. Hard work becomes exhausting labor when special needs replace the standard care. Anxiety and breakdown replaces exhaustion when a parent feels that they are completely out of control with the little hope of improvement or change to their situation. To make it even harder, single parenting is way harder. Lack of food, clothing, shelter, health care puts children at risk. Daycare costs are so high, many single parents try to figure out, should I just stay home and not work, or how do I do this? Some parents are worried, feeling helpless and beaten up. You've ever seen those notices that they post on doors, you know, this house is being evicted or this job is now closed. Some parents post failure notices on the walls of their own lives because things are not going well with their children. They are confused. They're in despair. 
The couple in our story that we're looking at today walk the road ahead of us, and I think they can help all parents experiencing dark times to get through, but not just survive it, but thrive in it. And that is because God called them. God called Mary and Joseph to be parents. And I want you to know, when it comes to Mary and Joseph, they were not, or they were just normal parents like any one of us. Mary and Joseph were normal, confused parents who were exposed to abnormal situations. So let's begin in this Christmas event here, Luke chapter 1, verse 28. Gabriel appeared to her, this is Mary, and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, okay, an angel popped in and said, Hey, you're favored. That, that would be confusing. Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He'll be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Here is the scene. We've all heard this many times through the Christmas season. Maybe it's the first time you've ever heard it at the end of February. Okay, but Mary is probably 14 to 15 year old. She's a pregnant teenager, and most people at this time are going to think she's psychotic. Okay? Let's be honest about it. To be psychotic means you're characterized by a loss of contact with reality and the inability to think rationally. Now, why would people think she's psychotic? Hi, I'm a 14, 15-year-old girl, and I'm carrying God's baby. Okay, loony bin. That's what people would be thinking. And even if she didn't talk about the whole God's babies type stuff, to be pregnant at this time could mean one of three things. She's been raped, she had sex with some other guy willingly, or she had premarital sex with Joseph. All three of them were negative and would have been seen as bad on her and the whole situation, the family and everything. That's what people would think. And so at this time, you marry your favored to live in a chaotic, crazy experience. She was deeply confused. She's bewildered. She just doesn't know what to make of this visitation of the angel of God. Notice what happens in verse 39. A few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea to the town where Zechariah lived. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. This is her cousin. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women, and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? When I heard your greetings, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. You are blessed because you believe that the Lord will do what he said. Where did Elizabeth get all this information? From God. She wasn't told in a dream that we know of. She wasn't given a letter. It's not like Jesus said, hey, I've got a telegram for you. Okay? This is how you're going to know when I'm coming. This is how we know that Mary was specifically called. What does calling look like? I want you to know when God calls you to something, it is confusing. It's good. How? How could this work? 
Why would this work? There's a lot of confusion, but look what God does in this calling. She was confused. She was distraught, which is why she took this journey to Judea to go to her cousin's house. It's early in the pregnancy, and nobody would be able to tell, but that wouldn't last very long. And so she kind of goes away. She goes to hide. You and I need to hear this, parents. If you have children who are in your care, whether they're parents or your children or just niece, nephews, or you're just in their life somehow, you are called by God to be an influence in their life. You are called by this. It is His calling for you. And when you are confused by it, which all of us need to admit we are, we need to look what God can do for us because look what He did for Mary. In God's call, He will give confirmation. He will give confirmation. God gave confirmation to Mary through Elizabeth. She received this good news that God is going to make her pregnant. She leaves town, and I believe that was God-ordained. God directed her to do this, to go visit her cousin Elizabeth. She needed to hear this validation. You're not psycho. You're not crazy. That God actually is doing this to strengthen her for the responsibility ahead. We need confirmation. One of the great tools for parents are the insights and experiences of veteran parents. But here's the problem. We don't always like to ask for help. We don't want the rest of the parents out there to think we don't know what we're doing. Let's just lay it all out, okay? You don't know what you're doing, and neither do I when it comes to parenting. That's okay. It's not based on us. It's based on His calling. And there is a great help here. There are other people who had no idea what they're doing who survived. So let's seek that help. Let's seek that advice. At least to hear what didn't work so we don't make the same mistakes. We have this confirmation from people like that. Elizabeth who is advanced in her years, was six months pregnant with John when the news was announced that Mary would have a child. God confirmed it. Hey, Mary, you're going to have a baby. Who is going to be my Lord? And you came here, and God is telling me so that you would know you are called for this, and you don't know what's going to happen, but God is in control. She needed assurance she wasn't crazy, that God had his hand in all this. He led her to this. He established it. And after the confirmation, you can read what is commonly called Mary's Magnificent, where she responds in this song of joyful faith after God's calling and then confirmation of what he was going to do in and through her. Well, let's back up and see Joseph. What would Joseph have said or shared if he could tell his own story? So, Matthew chapter 1, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. Joseph had a dilemma. He was so confused about what is going on here. His fiance is pregnant, and it's not his child. Remember, I told you that the normal person is going to think of only one of three things, rape, someone else's child, or it's premarital sex with him. He knows it's not his. And so that leaves two others. 
All his hopes and dreams of being a godly husband, in his mind, are gone. They've been thrown away. His reputation is trashed. His family has been humiliated. And poor Mary. In his mind, he really thinks this. We can say this. It shows his character because he was going to break the engagement quietly. He wanted to spare her, so he did care for her. And it hurt. Yet again, God does this in this calling to Joseph. Look what he said, verse 20. As he considered this, as Joseph was thinking about this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, stop. Appeared. As he was thinking of this, the angel appeared to him in a dream. You know what that means? He was thinking of this. He was wrestling with this idea deep into the night. He fell into sleep, finally thinking of this. And then God says, hey, I'm here. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. And took Mary as his wife, but he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born. And Joseph named him Jesus. Joseph was confused. He needed somebody to confirm this message with him as well, to validate him. He would have divorced Mary, taken a quiet settlement, and completely separated himself from this woman that he loved and thought was unfaithful. But God took time to encourage him to provide Joseph with an understanding of what was happening. Joseph, in this moment, was in a crisis. What do I do? He was trying to figure it all out. The Scripture said that he was um, trying to do this while he was considering this. And in the call of parenting, you and I need to know that God provides during the crisis. In the crisis. God can and will handle every detail of a parent's life. Absolutely nothing is beyond him, is too difficult for him. We already established, right, that we really don't know what we're doing all the time, right? But here's the other thing. God does. And if he's calling you into this, don't you think he can direct you with his wisdom and his power? Joseph intended to keep this divorce proceedings private so the pregnancy would was probably not known at this time. Uh, she could have been wearing roomier clothes, but that's not going to hide very long. When the child would be born, let's say he went ahead and married her, which would be probably six months later, they are going to know in this little town, hey, wait a minute, either you guys broke your marriage arrangement or she stepped out. And all this shame and guilt would come. This very strict northern province would have been very unkind to Mary and Joseph and the child. If only there was a way that God could provide that they could still be married and they could leave and be able to have and start this family without the scrutinizing judgmental glance. Amazingly, an imperial degree was issued through the governor which demanded Joseph go back to his hometown of Bethlehem for registration. God provided a way in the midst of the crisis. What would have happened if 
to Mary if Joseph hadn't taken her as his wife? What would have happened to her and the child? Thankfully, we don't know. We don't have to know. Because God provided a way through the crisis, and Joseph, in faith, obeyed. This explains why a pregnant Mary was willing to make such a difficult journey with her brand new husband all the way to Bethlehem. And then from Bethlehem onto Egypt, and from Egypt back. All of this saved them not just from embarrassment, but gave them time to focus and obey God even further. This brings us to another calling. God calls for parents to parenting to be a result of marriage. Now, I want to say something real quick. Babies are a blessing no matter how they're conceived. I've told many of you, if you bring a baby in here, you cannot be a member of this church unless I get to hold your baby. Okay, I love holding these babies. God's design is for this. Does that mean that all of these others are bad? No. We don't always follow God's design. But God's design is for parenting to be as a result of marriage. So babies are a blessing. Teenagers, not so much. But God called a husband and wife to become parents. And too many times we take the wrong road. Casey and I can attest to that. We had a child, conceived a child before we were married. That's not God's design. A strong marriage under God creates power and strength for couples to survive and thrive. This is God's design. The numbers of families with split religious beliefs and different value systems are extremely straining on marriages and families. Some marriages actually resemble single parenting households. You have one parent who does all the raising and all the disciplining and all the training, and the other one just does the paycheck. And that's not good. You have one parent who may be all involved in the spiritual aspect, and the other one doesn't care. And again, that's not good. Life is so difficult that families cannot survive. Marriages cannot survive where the governance and the leadership of the home does not consider and follow God's design. Can we raise kids without God? Not that well. Didn't we just say that we don't know what we're doing? But God does. And He has this design. Now, what can we do in spite of it? Well, thankfully, God doesn't say, hey, you didn't follow my design, you're out. He offers grace. He offers love. And we need to change our habits and our directions to step closer into His design. Looking at Mary and Joseph, we see them united with God in His plan. They're looking forward and never looking back. They needed God's strength in their marriage. Remember, they're coming together under a crisis situation. They're coming together in something that no one in humanity has ever experienced. A supernatural pregnancy. They needed God's strength in their marriage and into their parenting. They were a very poor family. Author Philip Yancey wrote this, We know that Jesus was raised in poverty. His family could not afford a lamb for the sacrifice at the temple and offered instead a pair of doves or two young pigeons. They couldn't afford a baby sheep, so they had to go offer pigeons. You know what a pigeon is worth? 
Not much. This poor family, this very young mother and new husband who is not the the earthly father, became united in their marriage. They became united in parenting. And how do we know they were united as parenting? Look how they responded to this brand new family in Luke chapter 2. Eight days later, when the baby was circumcised, he was named Jesus, the name given to him by the angel even before he was conceived. Then, when, um, then it was the time for the purification offering, as required by the laws of Moses after the birth of a child. So his parents, okay, his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. The law of the Lord says if a woman's firstborn is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So they, they, okay, they offered a sacrifice required in the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. These events are incredibly foreign to us today. Most of us think that it, um, it must be just how they did things back then, but there are some really differences in this event. This is not the normal flow of events in the Bible times, following the birth of a firstborn son in a Jewish family. Why wait until the eighth day to name him? This is key. Now, when Austin was born, we were under the assumption that he was going to be a girl, because the ultrasound said no indications of a boy. So we had a girl name ready. It took three days to name him. Why? Because we were not expecting him. And this was... Just, there is full... Indi- Never mind. Um, we see... Okay, so... But he... I know I just embarrassed him and me. Okay. So why wait until the eighth day? This is very key here. They're only waiting for a certain reason. Why does it say their, perse- or their purification? Did you notice the plural in there? After the birth of a child, it was the woman's job to be purified. Do you know why? They didn't have soaps for cleaning and, and purification back then, so they had a time set apart, and it was for the lady for healing and cleaning and everything. But here it says their combined together. Why is the presentation of Jesus even here? It's not necessary for the gospel. Here's what we can see. We see here that Joseph and Mary are united together, united of one mind. They were together in the purification process. They joined together. They were united in naming him in the circumcision. They were together in this. It wasn't one person's job. It was their calling being fulfilled. Leviticus 12 says this, The Lord said to Moses, Give the following instructions to the people of Israel. If a woman becomes pregnant, gives birth to a son, she will be ceremonially unclean for seven days, and she is unclean during, just as she is unclean during her menstrual period. On the eighth day, the boy's foreskin must be circumcised. Joseph and Mary are devoted to obeying God to Together, they bring this child together. After all the ceremony, they both come together to name and declare this child. Exodus 13, then the Lord said to Moses, Dedicate to me every firstborn among the Israelites. The first offspring to be born of both humans and animals belongs to me. Then Joseph and Mary offer the purification sacrifice together. And yet throughout this passage, it's clear that Joseph and Mary are doing it not just to obey God, but they're doing it hand in hand. Joseph claimed it as well. The name given to baby, Jesus, was proclaimed together. God calls a man and a woman to be married, and then in that marriage, God calls them into parenting. 
And here's one of the great things about parenting. When I mess up, my wife fixes it. When she messes up, we all stop and go, what? Because that's only happened once. No. We pick up the other person's slack. We help each other. We come into it because we are stronger, united. And let's face it, once you get more than one kid there, you need a team to combat them. You need to have this. That does not mean you'll always get it right, though. Mary and Joseph had a huge mishap that is recorded. Aren't you glad that your mishaps aren't recorded for the rest of the world to read? Look what this says in Luke chapter 2. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up, to, went up according to the custom. When the feast had ended, they were... As they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing, assuming him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. Notice they looked close, and then they started looking further and further. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. This is crazy here. Okay, This is before texting and instant alerts and, and amber alerts and all that stuff. After the feast, they started the journey home. They didn't even realize Jesus was with them. Now, now why? Well, they had other kids at this point. Jesus is 12, and so he's got younger siblings, brothers and sisters. And can't you just imagine, if you're the oldest, you know how problematic the younger children are. And they always take the parents' attention away because they're not as good as the firstborn. Right? At least it's this case in Jesus' family, okay? And so they're focused on all these younger kids, and the 12-year-old should know what he's doing. He should know where he's at, and he should be with them. They went a whole day without checking on him. Can you imagine going a whole day without checking on your child? It seems weird, right? Imagine leaving a place, traveling a whole day before you realize your child isn't there. In their defense, they had these other kids. They thought he was with them. But when they do realize, look what they do in, in verse 46. After three days. So they took one day to find him or travel without noticing. Then three days. They found him in the temple, sitting among teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. All who heard him, meaning Jesus, were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished, and his mother said, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he, Jesus, said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know I must be in my father's house? Jesus' reply here can seem like a slap in the face. Here's a 12-year-old whose mom said, Didn't you know your father and I are looking for you? Um, did you know I'd be in my real father's house? There, there was a time, um, my, my, my mom remarried and my, my stepdad became my biological, or my um, adopted dad. He adopted me, so he's my legal guardian and took on his name. And we were in a little bit of a tiff because I was a smart mouth, headstrong, young teenage boy. And I looked at him and I said, well, you're not my real father. And that was a slap in the face. It was intended to be. It was so wrong on my part. 
That's what this could sound like from Jesus. It is not. That is not what it was. That is not what Jesus was doing. Like any other parent, Joseph and Mary did not always correctly interpret God's will and understand Jesus' actions. So did they give up? Did they throw up their hands or surrender? When they, um, when they were lost as parents, when they had messed up, notice what Jesus does. He reminds them not only of his purpose, but theirs. Why are you looking for me? What Jesus is really saying is, why didn't you check here first? Why would you go all the, spend three days when you know me? Why wouldn't you come here? You know I love God's Word. You know I love teaching about God, asking questions and probing for more faith. <laughs> Why did you spend three days looking when you knew I'd be here? Why didn't you directly go to God first? Joseph and Mary were called to be his earthly parents. And yet, even though they were called, they still messed up. They still forgot their calling. They forgot who they were supposed to be listening to and following. Parents, have you ever failed as parents? We need to admit that we have. We fail in our calling to love our child properly. Fail in our calling to teach our child the right ways. Fail in our calling to protect our child we have failed, and here's another sad truth, we're going to fail again. When we do fail, isn't it wonderful that God is still there? That our God is there to pick up the pieces that we mess up on. And in the call of parenting, God offers times of reset. Now, I grew up in the best time of video games. Nintendo, Ataris were out. And when you were messing up and you were going the wrong way, you could just hit the button, reset, and start over. This is before the cheat things of saving your game in process. That's not right. You, we put time and effort into getting to the end. We sat diligently for six to eight hours in front of the TV to make sure we got to the dungeons. Wasted our life. We didn't... But we could just hit that reset. Don't we want that reset in our lives? Man, I've messed up this reset. Don't you wish you could do it again? God gives us times of reset. To reset our plans, to reset our agendas, to reset our desires, and reset them back into God's design. Not to restart for my plan. Not to restart for my benefits. To reset for His glory. And truly, that is comforting. When you and I fail in our parenting, God gives us times of reset. Of times where we can finally come face to face with God. Times where He reminds us what we are truly called to do. To parent our kids the way He parents us. Isn't that awesome? Parents, have you ever been faced with a situation that seemed unreal? Situations that jumped right in the middle of your life, consuming your attention. They steal and sap your strength. Have you ever faced um, confusing or perplexing times as a parent? I want you to know something. As a parent, that is normal. To be confused. I was raised, the only thing normal is the setting on the dryer. Or a washing machine. 
Beyond that, there's no such thing as normal. The real normal thing is to be confused as a parent. And God will give you confirmation of your calling as a parent. God provides what you need to face that crisis. And when you are so overwhelmed you can't make it, God stage directs every part of your life when you walk through that door of His Son, Jesus. And He offers it to you. The difference is if you are going to purposely, intentionally give Him that part of your life. Shortly after we got here at this church, um, little Lila was born, and, and Ariel wanted to do a baby dedication. And I had done some of those before, and I thought, so I talked with her, and she wanted to make sure that Lila was truly dedicated. She was going to raise up this child to be this. And so I went all out. And if you remember, it was a very long dedication and read scriptures, and she had to say stuff, and, and it was overdone. But it was very intentional. And I, I read through it just a couple weeks ago. I found out, I, oh, I want to read through this. And I was like, oh, my goodness, I need to do this for my kids. I need to step it up and raise my kids, pointing them to Jesus, despite my, my faults, my failures, despite the bumpy road that I've been on, despite all the baggage that I've put onto them because they're mine. I need to point them to God. Reset. Right there, when I was reading that, was a reset. And here's the favorite thing about this. You can reset anytime. Change your plans, your agendas, set them aside and reset them back to God. Who wants to do that? So I just said it. Two weeks ago, I read it, and I said it, and then I had to write a sermon about it. And I, Oh, thank you. I didn't know if you guys could see that. And now it's done. That's weird. If you're willing to step up and reset, here's the challenge. Notice who Joseph and Mary had to talk to and to talk to their child. So tell your child. Let them know that you have failed. Let them know that you want to do better. And then together go to God about that. Show them that as a parent you don't have it all together, but you know the one who holds it all together. It's not some. I, first I thought, I'm going to have everybody stand up and turn and pray over their families, and, and this is going to be one of those things. It's going to be a monumental thing, and people are going to cry, and people are going to love, and it's going to be awesome, and they're going to oh, good job, Donnie. And, uh, no, that's not where this needs to happen. More I kept thinking, I'm like, you need to do this in your homes. You need to do this as a couple. You need to do this as a family. What, if it's kids who are in your household, do it with them. If it's kids who are outside of your household, do it with them. Go to them. If it's kids who are not your kids, but you have a sphere of influence over them, do it with them. Not as a proclamation in front of other people who are like-minded, but a proclamation in front of God who called you into this relationship. And with them. Be willing to do that. 
It's one thing to say, yeah, I can do that. It's another to say, I am going to do that. So what will you do? We're going to have a time of invitation and where we're going to sing another song and we're going to gather together. But I want us to know that the rest of this next part of the sermon series, it's all a calling into Christmas. We're going to be in Christmas for a little bit, so get used to it. But today, will you accept and not just accept the calling of being some sort of mentor, discipler of the young people around you, but will you accept even your failures and to stand up and say, through God, He can do better. And if He wants to use me, I will be the vessel, I will be the voice, I will be the instrument to bring these kids in a closer, stronger relationship with Christ. Because these kids, they are not the future of the church, they are the church now, just like you and I are. And we can't just put off the hopes and dreams on them. We need to set it down in front of them with God and say, let me get you to this point. Let me take you to the cross. Let me show you who Jesus is in my failures, in my victories. It's all about him. And let me show you and take you there. Because then we can start seeing a generation that rises past our mediocrity and rise up into the greatness of Christianity. Are you willing to do that? Because it's time the church stood up. And when I say the church, I don't mean St. Joe. I mean the people who are called after God. Let's stand and let's pray. God, we thank you so much. I thank you that in the midst of our failures as parents, that through them we can get a glimpse of how many times we fail you as your children. And yet constantly, overwhelmingly, generously pour out your grace and your mercy. Lord, forgive us. Forgive me when I've messed it up. When I didn't show the youth, my children and those around me the proper ways of living under your name. Rise up within us, God. Not just a repentant heart, but a dedicated and fulfilling heart that comes to follow, to obey, and to run after the cross with all of our might. And Lord, as we come back together right now to lift up our voice to you, to honor and to worship you, thank you that in the calling, you are constant with us. And in Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you.